Welcome to the Grace of Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracedeugene.com. Here's the podcast. We get to continue in our sermon series titled The Helper Today. And what this series has been about is As a family, we want to take a look at what the Bible says about the person of the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus says, it's better that I go because then I can send the helper, my goodness, we should look at what exactly that means for us. The best that we can understand, like if he's saying that, then there's something for us to take in that. It warrants our attention and our focus. And so that's what we're doing. And we, we come back around every few years and, and dive into this. Um, but this is a serious thing for us to, to understand and to desire the fullness of the helper, the Holy Spirit operating in our lives, in our church, in our communities, and in our relationships. Amen. That's something that um, we really desire. And so to start out, we're going to start out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's one of three chapters in 1 Corinthians that really drill down into this whole idea of spiritual gifts. And then we're going to dive into, more specifically, prophecy as we move forward today. But 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11 says this. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. And to another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. And to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So here in this chunk, just four verses, four or five verses here, we see nine different gifts mentioned. And scholars have identified anywhere from like nine to 27 gifts in the New Testament. And depending on, you know, your kind of stream of theology and the way that you read through the New Testament, different people in academia have come up with different numbers. But we're not going to get stuck on numbers. We're just excited that when the Spirit moves in His people, these things happen. Amen? It's not about, hey, can we place a number? Can we categorize all this? Like, cool if you want to do that. But at the, at the end of the day, we see these nine gifts mentioned here. We see the, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a gift of faith, a gift of healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And then Paul goes on to explain how it is imperative to have all of these different parts of the body or different giftings represented for the body to function properly. One of the challenges anytime that you get a room of humans, amazing as we are, yet still broken and not perfect in our thinking, is that we just like to put things in hierarchy, right? Like, oh, that one's really cool. That one's been, oh, you, you, got, you got that? That's a cooler gift. And we can, we can mix things up and we can get it out of order, out of sorts, if you will. But Paul, as he is explaining these gifts to the church in Corinth, he makes a point to tell them, like, hey, we need 
all the parts of the body. We need all the gifts and function. Like, how awkward would it be to have a body that was only made up of knees? Right? Like, be pretty unproductive and super awkward, right? Similarly, what if we just had a body of believers that all just had one gift? Like, imagine if a church just had everybody that spoke in tongues and there's no interpretation or anything else. Talk about awkward body of knees, right? Like, that would not be productive. It would be awkward. It is not the representation of the full spectrum of the things that the Spirit of God does when he moves in his people. So Paul puts that into context for these people. And then throughout these three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, he puts into context how these gifts should play out for the church and how a believer should live in light of the giftings that the Spirit of God gives. And he explains three ways that we should approach these gifts. And he actually starts out each of these chapters with one of these statements. So we could take it as being pretty important that he's starting entire lines of thought, teaching, correction, however you want to frame it, with these ways to approach the gifts. And the first is that he says we should seek to learn about what they are and how they work. 1 Corinthians 12.1 says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be uninformed. We should seek to learn what they are and how they work. Now, before we had our children, they offered this new parenting class at the local hospital. And they, beyond the one that you go into with a wife and a husband or with the mom and dad, they had one that was just like a boot camp for dads. And I was like, sign me up. I'm going to go to this one. And of course, the, the textbook for it was camouflage and everything, because apparently that means that you're really a dad. And um, so I show up, and it's just a bunch of dads that have never been dads before. And they start out this course, and they're like, hey, you guys are about to receive an amazing gift of a child. But none of you probably know what to do. You're not going to know what the cries mean. You're not going to know how to change diapers, how to burp the kid. If mom is gone, you're probably going to be up a creek without a paddle kind of thing going on. And so they're like, our goal is to make sure you are prepared to receive this gift and utilize it well. And utilize it well. And it's similarly here. Like God says, hey, I got these great gifts for you, but don't be uninformed. I want you to be able to receive this gift and use it well. Receive them and use them well. Don't be uninformed. Dads, don't be uninformed when you're bringing a life into the world. People of God, don't be uninformed as the Spirit of God gives you gifts and desires to move through you. Amen? The second is that love must be our motivation as we use these gifts. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, if I am utilizing or functioning in these gifts, but it is not out of a place of love, I am just nonsense. It's just out of context. It's not making sense in the broader picture of who God is and what he's wanting to do. It must be framed in the context of loving God and loving others. And unfortunately, many have hurt themselves or others with self-centered motives, such as seeking prestige or money or self-worth. And we run the danger of finding our identity in our gifts 
rather than being sons and daughters of a loving heavenly father. That's one of the risks in this. And that's why we started this out, you know, saying, hey, all parts of the body are necessary. Like if we're just chasing after gifts and manifestations of the presence of God, we risk being our motives getting twisted and just chasing after prestige and self-worth. And oh, I want people to find value in me. So I want to make sure that I have this gift so that my church values me. We value you because you're a son or daughter of a loving father in heaven. Amen. Not because of your performance or that you have some certain set of gifts to bring to the table. Do you have gifts? Absolutely. The spirit of God is moving in you, but that's not what qualifies you to be a member of his family. That is an outcome of being a member of his family, not a prerequisite. Amen? <clears throat> and it's God's love that makes you and these gifts and their function in the world unique, not any spin that you put on them. It's his love that makes these things unique from the way in which the rest of the world interacts. And the third thing he urges is that he wants us to long for and seek to become active in the spiritual gifts. And he says, especially prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14 once says, follow the way of love, we just talked about, and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Now, this urging from Paul means that we can confidently ask our Heavenly Father for any of these gifts. We can ask Him for any of them. And when we ask Him, He will distribute them based on what he wants to do in any specific moment or through any specific person. We ask and we trust him with where he bestows and gives the gifts. I was at a certain point in my life where I'm starting to learn about these spiritual gifts. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, I latched on to that verse that says, desire the gifts of the Spirit, but especially prophecy but especially prophecy. And so many times we can, we can treat receiving gifts of the Spirit like we treat shunning sin, that we categorize certain ones and like, ah, that sin's really bad because I don't struggle with it. Or, hey, I'm going to pray for gifts, except that one because that's weird. And so we just desire the ones that we can understand or that we think are cool, and we shun the other ones. This is, no, 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 eagerly desire the gifts. That means all of them. And humans like to categorize things based on their comfort, but God says eagerly desire all of them. Don't treat them like you do treat sin and you call out certain ones as worse because you don't actually struggle with those. We can't put our categorizations on the things of God. We don't have the mind for that. We don't have the authority for that. Eagerly desire all the gifts. But he does say especially prophecy. So if he says that, then I think we should dive into maybe why. How that functions, how that gift functions how God moves in his church and in his people in lieu of Paul's encouragement to especially eagerly desire that. So I'm going to pray and we're going to dive into that. Father, thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your gifts of grace that you give your sons and daughters. And I thank you that I'm a part of a church that believes you are alive and well and moving today. Father, would you help us to wrap our minds around what you desire for us to wrap our minds around and to trust you in faith, what we just don't have a category for, because we can't understand all of your ways, but we get to trust you in faith in those places. So God, would your spirit speak through me today? Would you give us all ears to receive your word and courage to walk it out in Jesus' name? Everybody said, amen.
So Paul, like I said, he makes sure here to say, especially desire prophecy. So we want to dive into that today. Now, through the gift of prophecy, God grants us the ability to share a message from him, to share a message from him that's revealed by the Spirit to an individual or group for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Now, before we get into kind of the the narrative that we're going to speak or cover through today, I want to just read you the scriptures that I'll be referencing to kind of prime the pump. So I'm not reading the scripture, then I'm packing it all. We're priming the pump for this little journey we're going to go on. So 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Acts 22.12.15 says this, A man named Ananias came to see me. This is Paul speaking. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, or prophesied, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And what that's referencing is back in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, exclamation point. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 4.14. Do not neglect your gift, Timothy, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And finally, in 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 24, it says, But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, explaining God is really among you. Prophecy is when God uses an individual to communicate his heart for people and his plan for them. And it can take different shapes, it can take different voices, and it can speak into different contexts. But that is prophecy. God speaking through somebody his heart to care for, love, encourage, give direction in some ways to his people. And in 1 Corinthians, we see Paul explain the purpose of the gift of prophecy is threefold. He says the gift builds up people to display God's glory. It gives them courage to live out of God's plan. 
And it brings warning and comfort as they face challenges and suffering. Now, that may seem weird to you at first sight, like it brings warning and comfort. Wouldn't you be comforted if you knew that God knew whatever you're going through was happening and that he was with you in that, right? Like warning, something like, hey, don't doubt that God is with you in this. He sees you. He was doing something in you. He is making something new in you. Like those kind of things. They're like, ah, this is a warning. Don't stray. Don't forget that he is good and he's with me. Yet there's comfort in knowing God is with me in that because the devil tries to tell you that you're alone. You're not seen. God has forgotten about you. And then when God speaks through somebody to say those things to you, it brings you comfort and warning. It's like that, remember, God is still here. He sees you. Now, the Apostle Paul was very familiar, as we saw through this sequence of Scripture, with this gift of prophecy. When he first declared his faith in Christ and began his ministry, he received prophetic encouragement, strengthening, and comfort from this disciple named Ananias. And although there was no indication that Ananias was in full-time ministry, he still exercised the gift of prophecy, which was activated as he prayed. As the Holy Spirit moved in Ananias' mind, he experienced a vision and heard a prophetic message. He shared that message with Paul, telling him that God had chosen him to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the words from his mouth. And he also prophesied that Paul's life would provide proof to many people that Christ Jesus is risen and reigning. Amen? That his life would testify to those things. Now, Paul's personal experience with prophecy affirmed God's love for him and confirmed God's call on his life. It affirmed that he was loved by God and it confirmed that he was called by God. How many of us want to know we're loved by God and we're called by God? Now, we know we can read the Bible and we can get that, but how awesome when God speaks through brothers and sisters to affirm and confirm the truths that he gives us. Amen? This is super encouraging. Now, his prophetic word also foretold his future, bringing assurance as prophecy sometimes do. Now, the gift of prophecy was continually evident throughout Paul's ministry. His first ministry partner was Barnabas, and he had a strong gift of prophecy, and his name actually means son of prophecy or son of encouragement. So he was no stranger to this gift. Now, during Paul's ministry, he traveled to Jerusalem to deliver relief during a famine, and Paul encountered the gift of prophecy in every city he visited along his journey, and the famine had been predicted by the prophet Agabus in Acts 11. Now, the Holy Spirit told Paul prophetically that he would experience challenges when he went to Jerusalem. And through the gift of prophecy, members of the church in every city, Paul started a congregation and confirmed the message that challenges were awaiting Paul in Jerusalem. Now, that can look discouraging, right? Like, man, every place he went, he's going around planting these churches, helping people come to know Jesus, and they just tell him, challenges are ahead, Paul. Like, what kind of people, what kind of churches is he planting, right? But think about it, that time and time again, as he is on mission, his call is confirmed, and God loving him, sending him, and being with him is affirmed. Like, think about that. It's not just, hey, everything's going to be great, because that's not the Christian life, amen? 
It's God sees you and he's called you. He's with you and he's empowering you. That is how this gift functions. Now, while in Caesarea, the prophet Agabus encouraged the church, giving Paul the same prophetic word he'd heard in the cities he had traveled to and adding even more details. It was that same thread that kept going. And these prophecies foretold the bonds and affliction that awaited Paul and that was revealed through the gift of prophecy, and it was, re- it was fulfilled in his life later in Acts 21. Now, Paul also witnessed the gift of prophecy at work when the elders laid hands on Timothy, who was his spiritual son. The Holy Spirit gave these elders messages of upbuilding and encouragement that revealed God's heart and activated God's gift in young Timothy. So it wasn't just about Paul receiving encouragement, affirmation, and calling and confirmation of that. It was about that also passing through him and God working through him to call up the next generation, to raise up the next leader, to encourage the next person that would step in and be activated to carry on this mission. And this gift allowed Timothy to be effective in sharing and showing the gospel to people. One more profound way that Paul witnessed the gift of prophecy was in evangelism with those who did not know God. And in this expression of the gift, secrets of individuals' hearts and lives were revealed as a sign and wonder, pointing to the reality that Jesus Christ is real and alive. Now that last verse we read about how if somebody comes into the midst of believers that are prophesying and their secrets are laid bare, like we are conditioned, right, especially in the West, oh, that's, that just seems very invasive and that's very vulnerable. But imagine somebody comes into an environment where Christians are praying and they're encouraging the word of God and God's call and love over one another and somebody that maybe is far from him or doesn't know him enters into that environment And they're seeing that. And then maybe somebody prays for them or encourages them. What this isn't saying, hey, a lost person comes into a church and the pastor prophetically calls out their sin in front of everybody. Remember, this is about encouragement, right? Building up. What happens is the Spirit of God is moving. And when the people of God are activating that in faith, he moves in the room and that person may get convicted of something and then repent. And their sins are laid bare, meaning they're repenting of that. And then they're in the context of a community that can walk them and usher them to Jesus in the midst of them not knowing what to do with this recent conviction. Does that make sense? They're convicted because the Spirit of God is moving. They're given a place to repent and be ushered to Jesus to deal with those things. One of my favorite ways of seeing the gift of prophecy work in my life is in this evangelistic manner. And that doesn't mean I go out on the University of Oregon campus, hold up a sign, say, free prophecy, and I read somebody's mail. Like, that's not what it looks like. That's weird. I don't, don't do that, okay? What it looks like is going and having a conversation with somebody. And you quickly learn, because they'll tell you, like, yeah, not into that Jesus thing. That's not really my thing. Okay, interesting. Would you, would you tell me more? Why, why is that? And you just start to have a conversation. And as they're sharing their life with you, Certain things that they're saying, like, trigger images in your head. And meanwhile, you're like, God, I'm going to trust you that you're going to speak through me, that you're going to give me a word for this person to pray or encourage them. And I will tell you, there's only been two times out of numerous that God's given me a word in the context of evangelism that I have said it and like, hey, God wanted me to tell you this. Like, that usually isn't the best way. But if you say, hey, can I pray for you? 
Like, especially in Eugene, it was less so my experience at Oregon State, but especially in Eugene, people are more open to spiritual things, and so they're like, sure, and they kind of polite, so they don't want to tell you, no, yeah, sure, whatever, just get this over with, right? And so you pray for them, and God's given you something to pray for them, and all of a sudden, they're tearing up, and they're like, so tell me more about this Jesus guy, because God has touched their heart. He has confirmed that he knows them, that they are known and cared about. And it's not some thus saith the Lord moment. It's simply receiving something from God to encourage, edify, and build up somebody else so that they know they're known. So they know they're seen. How many of us in this room have felt hopeless? Just me? Cool. Well, I'll just speak for myself. When I feel hopeless, you know what the devil tells me? I am unseen. I have no hope. Nobody knows me. I am alone. That's what he tells me. So if I'm walking through campus as this lost person and I'm hopeless, do you think that an encounter with God that shows me that something bigger than myself and my professor in sociology knows me, cares about me, and loves me is a big deal to somebody? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you're going about your day, you're at a gas station or grocery store, whatever it may be, gas station, hopefully less so these days, but when you're about in the city and God shows you something about somebody, he just pops something in your imagination or or gives you an impression, like ask them how they're doing. See if there's an opportunity to encourage them or pray for them and do not underestimate the fact that God wants them to know they're seen. God wants them to know he loves them. And that you get the privilege of him using you to do that. Amen? What a cool opportunity. So when we read that 1 Corinthians 14, it's not about, you know, the Holy Spirit embarrassing somebody when they come into a family of believers. It's about him bringing conviction and context and a loving group of people for them to walk that out within. This gift of prophecy is not just something that we ask God for, especially, like it says, because it like gives us some status. It's actually something that we are to especially ask for because the world needs it. The world needs it. The world needs an encounter with a living God. And I believe one of the most profound ways that he does that is through his people. Now, you're a lot of awesome people, and when I get to talk to you on Sundays or life groups, like, I'm encouraged. But even more so when God puts something on your heart. I was speaking with one of you this a couple weeks ago, and I was just, I was feeling low, was having a drained week, and looked into my eyes and said, hey, how are you doing? You probably need a date night. <laughs> how can I help you? Just know you're called, I love you, I appreciate what you're doing and how God's using you in our lives. It was one of those moments where I'm questioning that. I'm like, man, am I just burnt out? What's going on? But God speaks through somebody to say, hey, you're seen, you're loved, you're called. What you're doing is right, and I appreciate that. God speaks through his people. And it's beyond just the natural, like, I have really good relationship skills, and so people feel good around me. Like, great, but why settle for that? Why settle for that? What if we were a church of people who eagerly desired all the gifts of God, all of the ways in which he moves in his people to be fully present and blessing the socks off of our community, our neighbors, our schools, and the people around us? 
What if instead of getting mad about people not seeing the world the way we do, we said, God, give me a word, give me an opportunity to encounter somebody in that sphere so that they can see light in the midst of darkness? What if that was our posture? Instead of rejecting all of the things out there we don't agree with, we said, God, use me as an agent to redeem it. And you're not going to do that on your own power. You're going to do that because God gives you a word. He gives you an encouragement. He's speaking through you to the darkness. What if? Imagine that. Just picture your workplace, your family members that are really challenging right now, your kids that are really challenging right now. Whatever it is, just picture that. Say, God, how would you like to redeem that? Please use me to do so. Imagine the heart posture, the love that that is in the context of, instead of the opposition that it comes out of. Eagerly desire means eagerly desire. In the root word of desire, it actually is like this burning desire. It is often equated in the root word with lust, like a burning desire that is deep, like eagerly desire for the Spirit of God to move in you and through you. I just think the way a place like Eugene gets reached, gets transformed, gets redeemed, is enough people of God hearing his word and allowing it to pass through them to those that need to hear it. Whether that looks like a testimony, a word of encouragement, shining Jesus' light into dark places, signing up to volunteer in the very committee or board that you can't stand the decisions they're making because you're like, I'm actually going to try to be a part of changing this. And it's going to be rough, likely, but God is with me and he loves me and he's leading me. The gift of prophecy isn't just some weird mystical thing. It is God speaking through you. It is not extra biblical. It always is it's held up to be measured by what the Bible says. It's not new revelation. It doesn't get to supersede the Bible, but it is judged by the Bible. But this is how God desires to move in his people. Speak through us. Empower our prayers. Empower our vision. Empower our leadership. Empower our prayer life. There's a lot of ways that this gift of prophecy has empowered and spoken into and played a part in my life, in the life of this church, in many of your lives in here. And as I read just kind of this narrative of Paul's journey with prophecy, I'm like, oh yeah, I've experienced that type of prophetic movement or that type of, of work. I've, I've experienced it in that way. I've experienced it in that way. And it's just cool to see how faithful and steady God is through the years when it comes to the things he does and how he wants to move. This stuff didn't stop with Paul. It's still happening. God still speaks through his people, through you and me, and he still desires to do supernatural things in the natural world. And he's chosen each one of you to be a part of that. Not vocational ministers. You remember I pointed that out with Ananias? There's nothing to indicate that he was in full-time ministry in any way. He's a man who heard from God and had the fortitude to obey God. When somebody that he was scared had the legal right 
to kill him or arrest him because of his faith. I know for me, there's environments where I am fearful to speak up because I know the ideology that I am entering into and speaking into being a Christian man who believes in the redemptive purposes of the God of heaven and that it will not be the popular voice in a room. But these stories like Ananias and Saul encourage me. Not that every time it's going to end up that way. Not that there won't be somebody that maybe makes some comment to try to put you down or come against you. But the reality is this person, Saul, Paul, depending on what context you're in, was trying to kill, arrest, harm Christians. And somebody believed in God enough to say, really, you want me to talk to them? But do you understand who he is? Okay, (laughs) I've said my part, I gave my one rebuttal, and let's do this. And he did it, and it changed the scope of the early church because of his obedience and his courage. And that encourages me that I'm not going to get it perfect in every moment. But if I make a habit of responding out of faith and courage, change can and will happen all around me. Not because of me. Just because of me saying yes, but not because of me having the words or me having some superpowers. It's just saying, Lord, use me. I'll say yes. This ties back to how we started this series. What is your posture when it comes to the things of God and Him using you? Is your posture that you're reserved and skeptical? Or you're saying, yeah, whatever you got for me, I know it's going to be interesting, which my wife knows is my all-encompassing word for this is going to be weird, hard, challenging, really cool, and really depressing all at the same time. It's going to be interesting in any given moment, but if God's in it, sign me up. If God wants to use me, sign me up. Send me, I'll go. Yes, here I am. If that is our heart posture and our response to the call of God and to his leading, this world can't help but change. It can't help but change. About nine and a half now, I lose track of time because the older I get, the quicker the years go. About nine and a half years ago, Pastor Jim LaFoon was in Corvallis, Oregon, and my wife and I were leaders and staff up there at Grace City Corvallis. And he came into town and he told Pastor Seth, hey, bring Chris and I think Bree in here. I got a word. And so we go into the office, and you know it's going to be a doozy when they call you into a special room with pastors and elders instead of, you know, just kind of out in front of everybody. And he says, Chris, I want you to know that God's going to use you to break open new holes for the kingdom of God. You're going to be like a pulling guard that's going to pull out of formation and break open new holes for his kingdom. I'm like, cool, lineman language. I can dig this. Okay. And he says, and it's not going to be in Corvallis. At this point in my life, God had been doing this weird thing in me where I went from hating everything about Eugene and the University of Oregon to I remember that, and to me, this is very significant to some of you, it may not be. I found myself in the Civil War game being okay if the Ducks won because it meant that one of the Oregon teams would go on to like a big game. I don't remember if it was a championship or Rose Bowl, whatever. It was a long time ago. But I was like, this is bizarre. What is happening in me? And everything in the flesh of me wanted to rebuke me for not being a loyal beaver in that moment. And I'm like, what is your problem? And it's like, God was starting to do something in me. 
and I was uncomfortable with it, and I didn't like it. You see, coming out of a small logging town in high school, I turned down coming here to do football, to do football, wow, I'm old now, to play football, <sighs> because I, I was like, no way, Eugene, that's weird. Eugene's weird. I love it, but especially 18-year-old growing up in a town of 1,500 up in the woods, like, mm-mm, no way I'm going there. Little did I know God had a plan for me. And through, whether it's disobedience or circumstance you want to chalk it up to, I ended up here anyway. And it was in that moment that God started to bring context and other people with words into my life. And as I'd pray and seek God, and I'd say, hey, God, okay, I'll be that pulling guard. Send me anywhere but Eugene. God, I'll, do, I'll go anywhere but Eugene. And I always tried to put that asterisk in there. And finally, he told me, nah, I am not a God of rejection. I am a God of redemption. And you are my son, and you will be an agent of redemption in this place. And that was really uncomfortable. And here we are. I'll spare you all the details in between. They were interesting. <laughs> but the reality is, my life in this church is a part of the narrative of God speaking to and through his people. And I pray that the change that this city will see in the coming decade and beyond will be a part of the story of God speaking to and through his people and us having the courage and boldness to simply say yes. Worship team, you can come back up. It's not hard to look around and recognize the world needs a touch from God. The world needs to know he's real. He sees them. He brings hope to the hopeless. He makes whole the things and the people that are broken. It's not hard to see that. We need it. We need it. And the world needs it. It's not weird. It's not mystical. It's simply what the Spirit of God does when he inhabits his people and works in and through them. Amen? It's just what he does. Will you allow him to do that in you and through you? God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are still alive and well today. God, I thank you that you allow us to participate in your redemption narrative here on earth by loving our neighbors and loving you and caring about your heart for those that are far from you. God, would you give us boldness and courage to simply say yes, to allow you to speak through us, to share your heart for others. And God, specifically right now in the context of that, I pray that you would help us to receive how you see us. God, in the midst of these high callings and amazing missions and all of this opportunity that's all around us, would you help us to know that we are loved, we are seen, we are not qualified based on anything we have done, but rather what Jesus has done. And would you help us to know that is enough this morning? Help us to operate and move forward out of that place. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen.